This morning, we are looking at the flood and the love of God. The flood and the love of God. A lot of people think these can't happen together. In fact, I have a slide produced by an atheist that will show up a little later in the service. Um, But I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 6. And I want you to think about the flood, which was the judgment of God on mankind. And the love of God. Because people look at God from two different ways. They look at God, he's, just, he's this angry guy up there just waiting to nail you when you mess up. I, I don't know if you ever saw those billboards that were supposed to be messages from God. One of those billboards said, don't make me come down there, signed God. Well, see, the awesomeness of God is he came down here, but he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And so I I hated that billboard when I saw it. I almost wrecked. It made me so angry. I got a little distracted. Uh, That's not God. But but people look at, well, that's one side of God. He's this angry. And this other side of God, he's just so loving. You know, he runs through the flowers and invites you to come and sing Kumbaya with him on the hillside. Both of those are inappropriate views of God. Now, admittedly, you and I do not have the capacity to be fully righteous and fully loving at the same time. We cannot have wrath toward sin and love toward men at the same time. Some of you who have had kids, you can love your kids and be angry at your kids, but it's really hard to do both at the same, to feel both at the same time. You can be angry and respond in love, but it's hard to feel both at the same time. God feels both. He is both. And so we're going to look at the judgment of God on mankind, but also at the love of God that shows through in this passage and in other passages. In Genesis chapter 6, we're not going to read this whole story. It goes for several chapters, and, uh, but we're going to jump in in verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, Isn't it interesting that that sounds like our culture? The things going on in our culture? The the evils that take place? Verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Little kid once said, what was Noah's wife's name? He said, Grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, that wasn't her name. Noah found the grace of God. Now jump down to verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God. Some people act like God doesn't care about sin. Some people who are believers think that, well, God has forgiven me for all my sin, so it doesn't matter what I do. They need to read the Bible because God hates sin. And the corruption of mankind has come before God. 
He said in verse 11, the earth was filled with violence and God looked on the earth, upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then he told him to make an ark of gopher wood. And then in verse 15, here's how he wanted to fashion it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Now, we don't measure in cubits anymore, but a cubit used to be the forearm of a man. And so roughly 18 inches for the average height of a man in that day. My cubit's a little longer than that. Some of you might have a little shorter cubit than that, but they would measure the cubit. So roughly 300 cubits would be about 450 feet. Then... But remember the dimensions in verse 15. How long was it supposed to be? 300. How wide? 50. How tall? 30. 300, 50, 30. Those numbers will come back a little later, and you'll see why that's very important. Uh, Jump down to verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by seven, male and his female, and and beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. I wonder if there were four males, three females of the seven, or it doesn't really say. Of the fowls of the air by seven, uh, verse four. For yet seven days I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. Now, it had never rained. Before this, the water would come up from the ground. In the morning, you'd get up and your plants would be watered for you. Pretty cool, huh? Don't you wish it worked that way in Arizona? Sort of. Everybody says, oh, man, I love the green grass back in other parts. I watched a movie set in England, and and the grass, I can't see green, but it looked different than the grass in Arizona. Uh, But I don't, you know, if you don't like humidity, then uh, you don't get that luscious grass, right? So he's going to cause it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Kathy and I lived in Texas uh, for a while until we got right with God and came back to Arizona. But no, we lived in Texas for a while. We were ministering in a church there. And there was a, a rain that lasted for eight days. Eight days and eight nights it rained. And it wasn't a hard, driving, pounding, ferocious rain. It was just a steady rain. Eight days and eight nights. The dam overflowed. All these multi-million dollar homes got flooded. Uh, and uh, it, it was a disaster from eight days of steady rain. This is 40 days and 40 nights of torrential rain. In fact, I haven't seen it on the news anywhere, but I read it in a news blurb that I get that there's flooding in Sri Lanka right now. There's more than 600,000 people displaced because of the terrible flooding in Sri Lanka, the little island off the southeastern coast of India. And... Uh, Didn't even make our news. They were so busy talking about the president. Uh, Verse number five, uh, the end of verse four, he said, I will destroy from off the face of the earth uh, life. Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. And he was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. We'll look at how ages worked in just a little bit. I've got a chart for you. 
Now, jump down to verse 15. They went into the ark, or they went in unto Noah into the ark. Two and two of all flesh were in as the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut the door. One of the guys I was reading this past week, an atheist, said, well, uh, how come Noah and his family didn't let these people in as the waters were rising? Surely people were banging on the ark, wanting them to let them in, but they wouldn't open the door. God shut the door. Noah didn't have any control over the door. But it does make you think, doesn't it? You're in the ark, and you hear people pounding and yelling. You maybe recognize the voices. Noah, let me in! But Noah had no control over that. Verse 17. The flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth, and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the water prevail, and the mountains were covered. So 15 cubits times a foot and a half, that's uh, more than 20 feet above the highest mountain. All flesh died that moved upon the earth. Verse number, um, the middle of verse 23, uh, all the life was destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So this morning, I want you to think about Noah's flood. It's called Noah's flood. It's really God's flood in Noah's day. I want you to think about this flood, and I want you to remember that it's real. So did the flood really happen? All kinds of people say, oh, no way that flood could have happened. That's impossible. Look at some of the evidence around planet Earth. I've got some cool pictures for you here. These are rock patterns clearly set in place by water. This is rock, and it looks just like water flowing through. And now there's another picture here that's in a totally different place on planet Earth. You see the exact same thing. We see these patterns in North America, in Asia, in Australia, in South America. These same types of patterns that show up uh, because it was a worldwide flood. Um, And uh, their rock layers bent and twisted before they were hardened. This is one of those really strange parts of the world called Indiana. And, uh, and, it, and this rock layers were just strained, it twisted and rippled. And, and you can just see the mud being pushed up by the waters. In fact, the Grand Canyon is not proof of millions and millions of years of erosion. It's proof of a dramatic flood that ripped through. Uh, volcanic, probably, because the fountains of the deep were burst forth, and uh, Mount St. Helens has a 120th scale Grand Canyon produced in one day, just in part of a day. Um, but th- this next one looks like the guy's surfing, doesn't it? She, she looks like she's surfing. It's a rock. It looks like a wave frozen in place. And then there's massive Rock layers, curved and twisted. Uh, see the size of that Land Rover and the bottom of that picture? And, and then the massive rocks that uh, twisted and, and turned. Plus, there's 
what they call polystrata fossils. This is a model made from a polystrata fossil. Now, according to original evolutionary theory, there's just this long, gradual slope and layers and layers and layers of space dust were deposited on planet Earth, and that's why we had all the different layers in there, and depending on what age they were deposited. That, that big thing in the middle, you see that? Um, this column that goes upward in the middle, uh, that's a, a fossilized tree. So... How many of you have ever seen petrified trees, petrified forest here in Arizona? It's pretty cool. Um, how did they get petrified? Did they just fall over and then gradually got petrified? What happens to a tree that falls over and just lays there? It rots. How do you petrify it? You cover it really quickly with a lot of mud and a lot of weight over the mud and it petrifies. And here you got these trees where sediment layers were laid down and laid down and laid down and laid down. Multiple stratas going all the way up. And then a tree stuck in there and the tree got petrified. But it goes through, according to geologists who do not believe the word of God, that tree lived for millions of years while layers of dirt were being laid around it. That can't happen. And they don't really believe that happened either. They're baffled by this. But it makes perfect sense to us. The problem is, when we think about did the flood really happen, is that people try to make it look silly, like this picture. And that little sling that slid in, that's the Fisher-Price Noah's Ark toy. Do not buy that for the church nursery, please. They make the ark look silly, like a myth like a fun little story. All the animals are in this bathtub and it's so top heavy it could... That's not what the ark looked like. The ark was a real ship. It might have looked like this. We have a video over in... We have a very small library now, but we have a DVD over there that has the, the story of Noah's ark and what it might have looked like and why they think that it looked like this. And and uh, this is a model that now uh, the uh, creation or the answers in Genesis now have the, the uh, ark exhibit open. And you can go walk in a full size of this. This was a little model that they had up. So, yes, it really happened. Now, the uh, genius of a ship like built like this is that part up in the front. I don't remember what it's called. But that would keep the ship facing toward the waves. So that if you've ever been on a ship in a storm, you know you don't run sideways to the waves. Why not? It'd roll you over. Bad thing in a ship. Scary enough in a car. Really scary in a ship. And so you go straight into it. And you get up and over. And it's still rough. I was on a sailboat off in the Pacific Ocean when... We were sailing back from uh, Catalina Island, and there were 50, 60 people on the ship. It was a pretty big sailboat, and it was really stormy, and we're doing this thing, and when we got on dry land, it was, nobody wanted to go out for pizza with extra cheese, Tim. And we, we were just glad to get on dry land and stop that rocking. It was bad. Uh, did the flood really happen? We see evidence of a flood 
all around the earth at all elevations. Now, was Mount Everest as tall when the flood happened? Probably not. Probably upthrust of the, the weight of the water. and the, uh, Where did all the water go? Well, God said it came from the fountains of the deep. It probably went back to the fountains of the deep. Well, how could God feed all those animals and people on that ark for a year? How could that happen? Gee, I don't know. Would that be hard for God? He fed the Israelites for 40 years on bread that grew in the desert. How can bread grow in the desert? It can't, humanly speaking, but with God, nothing is impossible. But one of the issues is how could they possibly fit all the animals into the ark? How could that even be possible? Well, scientific classifications of animals break them into kingdoms and classes and orders and families and genera and species. So Noah really only needed one set of animals per kingdom. Limits the number of animals. After the flood, microevolution or change within species or change within kind would account for the variety of species today. People are different today. You know, we're taller. I'm several inches taller than my dad, who was several inches taller than his dad, who was several inches taller than his dad. I think, you know, a couple generations ago, we were leprechauns. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but every generation, we got a little taller. Well, why is that? It's microevolution. We're not becoming different. We're still people. We're just larger. A lot of people think it's because the growth hormones they feed to cows and, and stuff that, that it, it trickles through to the people. But evolutionists agree with creationists on a few things. One is that these two cats are descendants of the same ancestor. How could that be possible? This silly, fluffy-looking little kitten thing? How could that be related to a tiger that looks so strong and so cool? I kind of like tigers. I kind of don't like other cats, but I love tigers. And, and, and the... Evolutionists and creationists totally agree. They came from the same uh, kingdom, started out with the same ones, and developed. Reptiles, how could they fit reptiles and, and the dinosaurs and that on the ark? Did you know reptiles start very small? Look at that. Isn't that a cute little thing? Man, I, I, Hunter would love to have one of those as a pet. His mom would not want him to have it. He'd play too many tricks on her. <laughs> Clarinda would pull out the cereal box, open the top, ah, the alligator. Yeah. The thing is, they don't stay that size. The longer they live, the bigger they get. Have you seen some of the, the uh, fossils or the, the bones of dinosaurs? I mean, some of the bones are fatter than me and bigger than me, and that's just a rib from one of the dinosaurs. How'd you like to eat them ribs, Jim? Huh? So what happened? They grew bigger. And as they aged, they got bigger and bigger. Now, look at what happened with people. We got a screen here that has the antediluvians, the people who lived before the flood. And 
don't worry about the color. The color is not significant. I just use bright enough ones that I could tell a difference. I don't know what they are, but I know they're different. And so uh, if it starts with Adam, and I think I, yeah, I got a goof at his age, 969. He wasn't that old. But um, he was, what, 939? 930 years for Adam. But I have the ages for everybody else down to Methuselah, who's 969 years. Now, look, the ages and length of time, Enoch didn't live very long, only 365 years, you know. He was the Dan Weber of his day. Uh, And then there was the flood. And then after the flood, you got all these people. Look how short the lifespan is just a few generations after the flood. 110 is a really old guy. What is it today? 110 is a really old guy. And so after the flood, it changed. After the flood, it changed for people. After the flood, it changed for plants. After the flood, it changed for animals. And the reptiles who would grow and grow and grow for 900 years now have a normal reptilian lifestyle like they, or lifespan like they do today. I have no idea what a reptilian lifestyle looks like, but I know <laughs> the span. They just don't live that long anymore. So they don't grow that big anymore. And God could have used hibernation. He has built into animals the capacity to hibernate and sleep for extended periods of time. If I were Noah in the ark, I would really hope God did hibernation. Otherwise, you're going to have all kinds of animals and critters making noise all the time. And you're going to shovel a lot of animal waste. And how do you get it off the boat? I don't know. But listen, what does the Bible say? Was the flood real? There are people today who profess to believe in Scripture, profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they don't believe the history of the flood. Now, in order to accurately understand Scripture, we look at it from a normative or literal. What does that mean? It means we read it, and what it says, we think that's what it means. We're not looking for the mystical thing here. You see, by the ark, what God really meant was a spaceship. No, that's that's not it. It was a, a ship on water on earth. And... So we look at the normal description. We look at it grammatically. God had it written down for us so we can look at subjects and verb and object and come to a clear understanding. We look at it historically. So we understand some of the things in the Old Testament were specific for Israel. Some of the things in the New Testament are unique for the church. We look at it historically. We look at it contextually. What, what false teachers do, they jump in, grab a verse, and take off with it. And they don't connect that verse to anything around it or to the rest of Scripture when it all should be connected together. And then we look at it dispensationally. The same God, he worked in different ways at different times through the course of human history. We are now dispensationally in what we call the church age or the age of grace. And so God is working in our hearts and lives. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see some things that are very uh, specific. All right? Let's look at the size of the ship. What were the numbers I told you to remember? 300, 50, 
30. Some of you got it before it showed up on the screen. Okay, these are specific numbers. They are not made up. They're not mystical. It's presented as factual with specific numbers. Now, look at the dimensions of the oil supertanger Exxon Valdez. Here's the dimension showing up in black. Do you see a little correlation there? 350, 26. The ark, 350, 30. Now, they weren't the same size. The ark was measured in cubits. The Valdez was measured in meters. But the same dimension. Most of the great ocean-going vessels in history have modeled something like this ratio. In fact, there have been some shipbuilders who have trusted Christ because the dimensions in the Bible prove the accuracy of the Scripture. But what else does the Bible say? I'm glad you asked. Turn to the book of Matthew, would you please? Matthew. What else does the Bible say? Well, we're eventually going to look at the other two, but just focus on Matthew for now. Matthew 24. Do you have a red letter edition in your Bible? Okay. We're, we're going to look at verses uh, 37 through 39. What color are they? What does that mean? Jesus spoke this. Does it make it more God's word? No. God's word is God's word, whether it's in red ink, black ink, or purple ink. It doesn't matter. It's God's word. But this means Jesus spoke this. Now, that's significant for those who reject the ark, but say they trust in Jesus. Jesus believed in a literal Noah and a literal flood. Verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man about the future judgment, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to see this repeated. When things are repeated in Scripture, they're repeated because God thought they were important enough to be mentioned twice. Luke chapter 17 and verse number 26. Now when it has Noah here, it's N-O-E, it's the same name as Noah, N-O-A-H, in the Old Testament. And uh, we'll see in, uh, in the book of Hebrews, they spelled it N-O-A-H. But it's the same name, just different way to spell it. Verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Does Jesus believe Noah actually built an ark and there was a worldwide flood? Does Jesus believe that? Yes. yes. He says that. Now, 
turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's writing to Christians at large uh, around the world, different Christians, different groups. They've traveled, uh, they've been dispersed, and, and now he's writing to encourage them all in the Lord. And in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, In this second epistle, beloved, I now write to you, unto you, in which I, I'm sorry, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He said, I want you to remember these things. Verse 3, knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers. Are there scoffers today? Oh, yeah, lots of them. Scoffers, uh, walking after their own lust. This doesn't necessarily mean they're creepy people. It just means they're following the desires of their own heart instead of trying to follow the Lord. And then they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He said, there really hasn't been that much change in the development of humanity. Where is this Jesus you said would come? And now generations have come and gone, hundreds, and, and we're a couple thousand years since then, and it still hasn't happened. Where is this judgment of God? Look at verse 5. This... They willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The world of Noah's day perished. It was a new world when they came up. What was life like? Before the flood, well, they had people who were skilled artisans in different brass and metals. They had people who were gifted at architecture. They had people who were skilled musicians. The Bible tells us these things. And so they had a developed societies. They had buildings. They probably did not have steel-girded skyscrapers, uh, but they would have had some highly developed building. Um, some people think that their building was probably similar to our world before the Industrial Revolution. So it could have been as, as highly developed as the world was in the 1800s, maybe even more advanced because they lived longer, and so the geniuses could do more with their geniusness over a 900-year span of life than they could over a 50-year span of life. But it perished by a flood. And they're willingly ignorant of that. Verse 6, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And the heavens and the earth, which are now, they're going to perish too. There's a fire that's going to come, not a flood. So they're willingly ignorant of it. Hebrews 11.2 says, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
Yes, it really happened. The animals were really on there. Noah and his family were really on there. Every living thing on earth today is a descendant from those that were in the ark. There's nothing else air-breathing, walking on land or crawling on land that did not trace its roots back to those who were in the ark. So, another question atheists love to throw out is, how could a loving God do this? How could a loving God destroy the earth? I told you I'd have a slide from an atheist. Here it is. Ah, yes. Noah's Ark, the uplifting story where God massacres every living thing on the planet, including millions of men and women and every single living child. How charming. And then at the bottom, because he loved them. How could a loving God do this? Take your Bibles, please. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Earlier in our service, Ben read these scriptures for us. John chapter 3, verse 16. You there? Well, you know verse 16. You can say it with me. All right? We're going to read through verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 16. And, and we'll, we'll read. Let's have the guys read the even verses and the ladies read the odd verses. Okay? So the guys will read 16 and 18. The ladies will read 17 and 19. Ready, guys? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I knew you ladies would like to read that men love darkness rather than the light. But he's talking about mankind, all of us. Listen, the people in the flood got exactly what they deserved. Because the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And without Christ, the scripture says, everyone is already perishing. They were already perishing. The flood just made it a little sooner than it might have been otherwise. They were already doomed for rejecting the Lord and rejecting the plan of God. They were already facing God's eternal judgment. And God just swept them off the earth. Death is what we deserve. We, we don't like that. But it's true. Now... Yeah, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11. A little bit earlier, I read a verse from a different translation from Hebrews 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7, talked about Noah building the ark by faith. Noah built the ark. But remember, when we look at the scripture, we look at it contextually. So we look at all the scripture around it. Look at verse number 6. 
Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, the him being God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We deserve death. We have sinned. We deserve death because the wages of sin is death and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's true for preachers. That's true for pastors' wives. That's true for people who call themselves priests. That's true for people who call themselves the Pope. That was true for Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody has sinned and everybody deserved death. But God didn't want to leave it that way. In his love and mercy, God made a way of salvation for everybody when Jesus died on the cross. He made a way of salvation. Can you bring that up? I don't want to look at the hangman's noose anymore. I deserve the hangman's noose. What I got was an empty cross. Not one where I had to be nailed to it, but one where the Lord paid the penalty for my sin upon the cross. And he died and he was buried and he rose again. And now he ascended on high. And God did not want the people in Noah's day to face the judgment that he had because Peter also said that God is not willing that any should perish. But when they rejected and they rejected and the thoughts of their heart was evil continually, God said, I give them their choice. The the psalmist writes about that, that, that God gave the people the choice of their heart and then they really suffered. So how could a God of love do that? The real question is, how could a God of justice allow Noah to live? How could a God of justice allow any of us to live? Because he's not just a God of justice, aren't you glad? He's also a God of love. And he brings truth and love together, justice and mercy together, and he provides a way of salvation. And any others who would have believed the preaching of Noah, where he preached for decades after decades, and no one accepted the message... I believe if they had believed, they would have been saved. Is there a biblical evidence of that? I believe, yes, there is. There's a story in the book of Joshua about a city called Jericho. And God said, Jericho was so evil, he wanted it wiped off the planet. And Rahab believed and trusted in the Lord, and God saved her entire house. And then there was that little conversation Abraham and God had, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And Abraham said, would you spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if there's just 10 righteous people? And God said, yes, he would save the entire region if just 10 people would choose to follow him. But there weren't that many. And the judgment came. See, the hope of humanity is not that God's just so lovey-dovey, he doesn't want to hurt anybody. The hope of humanity is that God poured out his own wrath, the wrath of God, on God, on the cross, as Benjamin sang about earlier. Jesus took our punishment. 
And he cried out, My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? And he hung on the cross in agony until he could say the words, It is finished! He had earned our salvation by paying the eternal price for our sin. Yes, the story of the flood is horrific, but it is also a story of God's love for humanity. He let us start over. And you know, since the flood, we've done a pretty good job of messing things up, haven't we? But God's still God. He still loves. He's still willing to forgive any who call on him. So for just a moment, I'd like you to bow your head. I'd like you to close your eyes and not look around at anybody. I'd like you to, in your heart, look at God. And in your heart, think about what it is that you need to do to be right with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You've never asked him to forgive your sins and be your savior. You need that. Because if you don't receive his forgiveness, you're going to face destruction just as surely as the people in Noah's day. Jesus even said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days when he comes back for his believers. Maybe you have trusted Christ as your Savior, but you've never been scripturally baptized. One of our parents asked me if we can have baptism coming up soon because they have a child who wants to get baptized. Maybe you have trusted Christ as your Savior, never been baptized. You say, well, you need to let me know. Or, uh, have your parents let me know so that you can be baptized like Christ was and like he commanded. Maybe you don't have a church home. You attend here, but you've never joined, officially joined with us. And I think it's healthy for you to have a, a church home. In the early church, they got together. They even had business meetings described in the scripture uh, where they talked things through and made decisions. And, and it's accountability that we have to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But being part of the church membership, we'd love to talk with you about that. Melissa. The most important thing is, what do you do with Jesus Christ? In his love and mercy, God made a way for anyone to be saved through the cross of Christ. If, if your life ended today, would you be ready to meet the Lord? song she's playing is the Savior is waiting. We're going to sing that together as Jim comes up and he'll lead us in that. If there's a decision you need to make to be right with God, make it today. Because we don't know when the end will come, but we know it's coming. 
because the word of God is very clear about that. Are you ready to meet God? Let's stand together as we sing.